0: Hello. Just a quick trigger warning for this episode. We do talk a lot about police violence um, and police murders of innocent black men and women. And so we do talk about that a lot in this episode. So if that is at all triggering for you, I do recommend skipping this one. Thank you so much. Hello and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. We're wrapping up our celebration of Black History Month with a discussion about the film Judas and the Black Messiah. And Carla is back with me to discuss this film. So this should be a really, I am guessing, probably a really intense discussion. And before I have Carla tell me one thing that she's into right now in pop culture... Just a quick announcement that, of course, we are taking listener support for as little as $0.99 cents a month to $9.99 a month. Feel free to click on the link in our show notes or head on over to our anchor page and click listener support there. And then also, of course, we have our Redbubble store. So if you need a new sweatshirt, if you need a new mask, anything like that, head on over there and get some merch. And that link is also in our show notes. And remember, 50% of what we see from both of those goes to one Black Lives Matter organization a month. So you're not only helping us, but you're helping other people as well. Okay, so Carla, what is the one thing you're into right now in pop culture?
1: It's so hard to narrow it down to one thing, because on the one hand, you have stuff like, I've been very into like my 80s music, and particularly Berlin. I've been listening to, it is called Count Three and Pray, like my favorite 80s thing probably right now. Um, I'm also obsessed with Blue Eggs, but that's a different story for another day. Carla and I are starting a band, okay? And we are going to be making such an amazing impact on the world. (laughs) It's going to be amazing. It's going to be fusion. It's going to cover all of the genres because you might say that it's because we're indecisive. I say because we're eclectic.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Yes, and our first hit single is you stay living single okay women
1: <laughs> that is our advice it is our motto and yes I am an absolute hypocr- hypocrite because I'm happily married but I'm telling all the rest of you stay to sing. stay living single
0: yeah stay living single sorry I messed it up there but man we are we are taking the world by storm just if you haven't listened to it go to our twitter
1: page can't <laughs> believe it Our blue eggs are gonna drop. Not to be confused by the blue balls, it's a whole different band.
0: Yeah, you don't want to follow the blue balls.
1: No, no, no. There's
0: some of you. I mean, yes, 90% of our audience is women, but I'm sure for the other one, for the 9% of the men out there that listen, for
1: all of you who have balls, even if they're blue, you should still listen to blue eggs.
0: And this is Erin and what I'm into is there's this little movie, it's this little love story and it's also one of those time loop movies and it's called The Map of Tiny Little Things um, and it's on Amazon Prime and it's with Catherine Newton and it's kind of like a play on Groundhog Day but it's two teenagers and they're the only two teenagers that are replaying the same day over and over again so instead of just having one person replaying a day you have two people. And it's just a cute, sweet little romance movie that, you know, is a good escape fare. Okay, so let's get into Judas and the Black Messiah. So, Carla, what are your overall thoughts um, on this movie?
1: Uh, Complete and utter devastation at how very relevant it is to this day. At how all of these things that Fred Hampton was fighting for and that his contemporaries were fighting for um, have not been achieved it's still all here and it's i mean like i could also talk about the film itself you know but just as the the what i came out of it was just complete sadness at how all of these things are still happening today and how uh the idea of black people having any uh real Happiness and liberty is such an abominable idea to so many white people. Just, wow. Yeah. it. Um,
0: that's the saddest and hardest part of this is that it basically could be made today and be taking place in 2021. And you wouldn't have to change anything except for the outfits and the cars. Um, and maybe a little bit of the music, too but everything else would stay the same. And that's what is so heartbreaking about this movie. And that's what I think a lot of people don't put blinders on and don't want to see that this is the world that we live in. You hear a lot of people will say, you know, when things happen like with Trump and everything, saying this isn't what America is. And it is what America is. That's the problem (laughs) is it is what America is. We aren't this great beacon of hope that we claim to be. That's what we want to be, but that's not what we are. And what you see in this movie is not seeing a record of when things changed. You see a record of how things just will not change and how white supremacy is still so so the norm in this country that really when you are... That really what is what you see in 2020, 2021, um, what you saw in 2016 with the election is not this isn't what America is. You saw this is what America is. And I think for a lot of white people, it was something we never wanted to look at and still don't want to look at. There are still a lot of white people that do not want to look at it and want to wear the blinders. Um, and would look at this film, I think, and still look at it and say this isn't well at least this doesn't happen today, which if you say that, you are just willfully willfully ignorant, I mean besides willfully ignorant, that's just disgusting if you really think this stuff doesn't happen today um but yeah, it was is a very, very hard movie to watch, um but it's an important movie um I think it's really important because. There's so much um, critique in in um, white society of the Black Panthers, and there's so much of saying um, calling them a terrorist organization or um, saying they were doing the right wrong thing or, you know, I mean, this isn't what this isn't what Martin Luther King would want, although people really don't really read what Martin Luther King said. Um, And it goes, it's the same thing when you're talking about Malcolm X. Um, And so that's another reason I think this film is important is because I think it's important to realize that the Black Panthers were not, they they are not, sorry, they are not a militant group. I mean, as far as like they are not a terrorist group, they are not um, something that we should be fearing um yeah so yeah i th- i think we need more movies showing that um and of course we need more uh depth to movies that also show the like Malcolm X and we need more movies that also show more depth and all around to Martin Luther King and not just saying, you know, the just quoting little bits of I have a dream speech and thinking that he was just like, you know, totally against what Anything Malcolm X would say, or anything the Black Panther Panthers would st- stand for. Anyway, okay, so let's get into um, the characters. That we'll start with the two main characters, and um, let's we'll start with Bill O'Neill. And because even though Fred Hampton is a big character in here, the really the story is primarily actually told from Bill O'Neill's perspective. Um, what did you think about that decision? What did you think about? um his character overall.
1: You know, I I wasn't sure how I felt about that because I thought going into this that it was going to be um more about Fred Hampton than it was going to be about Bill O'Neill. Um in the sense that the performance was fantastic. Like it's nice to see like Keith Stanfield basically in anything. He's just so great. Um and he only gets better with every role. But it did feel weird to me to, to have this, although, you know, like if if you're going to call it Judas and the black Messiah, that's absolutely the dynamic that you're, that you're going for. But I do feel like there was so much more focus on Bill O'Neill than on Fred Hampton. And that kind of weirded me out a little bit Um, in part because, you know, for all intents and purposes, he is on the villain side he's not the primary villain but he went a great length to facilitate the murder of fred hampton so that that was just very i don't know I I feel so weird about it <laughs> that's the only way that I can really put it
0: yeah and i know that's that's been a big critique against the movie is having it center him so much and it it is interesting because and i even thought even though the trailers showed him being prominent in it I still thought it was going to be primarily Fred Hampton's story but then when I started seeing like in award placement which doesn't always mean anything but still when I started seeing Daniel Kaluuya's performance being nominated and in perf- supporting I was like isn't this the main character um and so it was you know it's a very mixed bag I think from approaching that because I really want to know more about Fred Hampton and not as much about Bill O'Neill. I think it's, it's interesting and I think Lakeith Stanfield does an amazing job. He's an incredible actor, just an absolutely outstanding actor. So it's nothing against his performance because he is just brilliant. But I wanted more Fred Hampton. I wanted to see more of him. I wanted... Um, more of, and not just his speeches, because his speeches are incredible, but I wanted to also see more of those intimate moments he has. I think the love story in here is so beautiful. And I wanted even more of that. So that was my one critique is I wanted just so much more of him because there is a big section of the movie when he goes to prison and he's not in the story for a while. And so you don't even see him. And that was kind of, sad to me because i really wanted more of him um yeah so and and of course with the bill o'neill character you see right off the bat that you know i mean he's using the fact you see the first scene with him he is trying to steal a car and the way he's doing it is using a fake fbi badge and hiding who he is hiding the fact that he's a black man And he's using that, like, as he says, when he gets arrested and he says to the agent and he says, well, that's more powerful and more fear inducing than any gun will be. And it's just that's such a statement of so many different levels there, but also watching a black man use that fear against other black men is so... um, so hard to watch and so heartbreaking and so sad. And this, of course, was a true story. So that's what he did and he chose money and his chance to be close to this to whiteness and to power over any other kind of loyalty. And it was just, you know, and that's, of course, why he's the Judas character in the, in the movie. So do you have any thoughts on that about, you know, how you see him first and him choosing money and all that?
1: Yeah. I, I mean, it's definitely very clear why they they went with this title um it's a very apt title and you just think back to the story of um of judas and all of the parallels are there he uh he aligns himself with the messiah character he is um he becomes kind of you know his one of his right hand people um professes to be you know Absolutely down for the cause, and then sells him out quite literally. Also, you know, um, they both die by suicide. So it's like all of these parallels, or that the timeline might be different, but all of these things are there. the The place where it differs greatly is that Judas, in the beginning, was very much um, in the in the group of the apostles, he absolutely believed in Jesus. He believed in him, you know, and, and what he was saying and what he was preaching. Um, and he ultimately became dissatisfied with Jesus's um, persona as opposed to the the mission. And so he felt like he had to, to turn him in. He's like, nope, this is getting out of hand. This isn't what I signed up for. So you have to to face um, the authorities, whereas Bill O'Neill, he was recruited into the Black Panthers, not by the Black Panthers, but by the FBI, who wanted a way to bring down Fred Hampton. I mean, they had already brought down um, Dr. King and Malcolm X. And now the next target is Fred Hampton, because, you know, this is how you suppress a movement is by killing off the leaders and pretty much suffocating um, the charismatic people who can bring uh, followers into the flock and that's precisely what happened so th- those are like the perils and the differences I think
0: yeah yeah because you do see um and slowly this will bring me up to our my next question about it um because you do see uh bill o'neill slowly kind of he'll have these moments where you can see he's really uh conflicted a little bit um he likes fred hampton i think a little bit but underlying it all it's also that fear i mean there's the whole scene where he's in the restaurant and he's eating the steak and he's just like loving the steak he's eating and 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 just loving the fact that he's just you know he's snapping his fingers and getting whatever he wants. And, um, so it's like, he's just like, no, no, but I, I want this comfort. I want to be able to, maybe I can, if I do this, maybe I won't
1: have to suffer
0: as a black man. Right. I think there was that in there. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's that, um, first of all, the, the wanting the proximity to, to whiteness and what that brings. And then also his, um, his life is basically hanging in the balance too because he gets pinched very young with this car theft and the FBI is offering him this deal because he's a soft target. I mean, he's he's a kid, he's he's swayable, he um they're telling him, Okay, you can either you might end up going to jail for what did they say, like seventeen years, something like that? No, 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 for I can't I can't remember now. Um Yeah.
0: I mean, was, it was
1: something like that though yeah It's quite it was, it was an extraordinary long amount time. of time mm-hmm. right Um, versus you can walk out of here a free man which is exactly what they say right before the titles comes on, onto the screen and the trade-off that he has to make is you know another man's life for four years which he, that's not how, how he chooses to see it but that's How, if that's what it is, even if Fred Hampton hadn't been murdered, even if he had just ended up in jail for a very, very long time, that's still an exchange of another human for your own freedom. And it's one of those things where I feel like it's very easy for us to judge that as, as a horrible thing to do, a horrible trait to make. But who's to say what we would do if we weren't under the same circumstances? Um, Because going into this, he doesn't think people are going to die. Like, as far as he knows, he's just giving them information and then he's going to get out. He doesn't know what they know, which is that he is their... um, They don't really care about him. They don't care if he lives or dies. They don't care what happens to his future. They want what they want. He is nothing to them, but Fred Hampton is... They're looking at the target, not at this, you know, this black kid. Like, who cares about him? So it's, yeah, it's just a very gross situation all around. But again, I don't know what any of us would do if we were in the same position. I, I think we all want to believe that we would do the right thing and be like, nope, I'll do my time or whatever. How how true is that in 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 fact? like and then once that happens like how far are you willing to go when you feel like they have you in their in their grip like you feel like you can't get out of it you know who who really knows
0: yeah yeah it's yeah it's a, it's an interesting it, you know and I, it's an interesting story and i think with Le- Keith Stanfield what he does so well in this performance is there's so many moments where he doesn't say anything and he's just an observer and he's just watching. And you just look at his eyes, once again, the eyes, and you look in his eyes and you see him taking it in and you see, sometimes you see admiration, sometimes you see fear, because he always has that fear of getting caught by the Black Panthers and being found out. So he's always got that fear too and he's always got that in his eyes. And then as it goes on and... You know, you kind of get the feeling and I don't know if this was true to life or not, but you get the feeling that he really did like Fred Hampton. And so you see him struggling with that. And the scene towards the end when um, the FBI agent guy, I can't remember his name now. I can't remember his name now. Uh, Roy Mitchell. Yes. Thank you. When Roy Mitchell um, is in the audience and he sees him in the audience and you see that fear and that nervousness, like his whole, like he's just kind of shaking, but it's not like this. It's not so visible that if that, you know, it's like, he's not like visibly shaking, but he is visibly shaking. If that makes any sense. Um, And it's that fear boiling up and he knows something, he's going to have to do something and he's going to have to really make a big choice And he's so far and so deep in it that I think in his mind, there's no other way out of it. And he doesn't want to go to jail and he doesn't want to be in prison for the rest of his life. And he knows that that's probably what will happen if he doesn't do this. So it's this weird, like, I don't know that that fear and his performance in that moment is probably my favorite part of his performance because you see so many layers there. And even when he starts repeating back, Words And he's saying words and he's repeating what what um, Fred Hampton is saying. And you see him start to say some kind of power in those words and he's saying it more powerfully and he's looking and he's looking right at uh, Roy Mitchell while he's saying those words. And it's this interesting moment because it's almost like he's challenging Roy Mitchell. And yet he's also afraid. And he doesn't know what he's going to have to do next. So it's just, I mean, hats off to Licky Stanfield to do all of that with. Yes, he's he's repeating words back, but with very little words. I mean, it's pretty incredible performance, really. Yeah. Do you think he had any regrets,
1: Carla? I, I think his regrets had more to do with how things played out for him in the end for his guilt. He regrets feeling guilty. Um, I think, you know, I, I read somewhere, I I read a, I was reading a bunch of articles about, about him and there was one that was talking about how, um, he didn't know how bad it was going to be until he showed up then, you know, the next morning after all of that killing and saw all of the blood and all of the paper strewn everywhere and the bodies and the injuries. And, you know, these are people that he had gotten close to who had allowed him into their inner sanctum and into their, their lives. And he was responsible for this carnage. Um, he's the one who uh, who drugged Fred Hampton so that the FBI could kill him. And, it, you know, that part, I'm not sure if that was just the movie or, um, or fact, but that, that's how it played out in, in the film so i i I think that possibly he compartmentalized that for a while that maybe he thought, "Okay, well, this is what's happening like this is his his actor life you know this is um he's playing a role for the f b i and this is the consequence of that role, and it's horrible, but what can you do? It's already done. gotta move on. He does eventually move on um and, you know, they don't really go into it much in the, in the film, even with the, with the, the credits, not the credits, the.
0: With the information showing basically what happened afterwards, like the, the post credit stuff, like basically, I, I don't remember the word for it, but when they're showing, you mean when they had the words across what happened to the characters? Yeah. Script, right.
1: Yeah. So, and they're, they're explaining, you know, uh, how. He went on to do an interview in nineteen uh eighty-eight or eighty-nine in which he talked about all of this and he um they asked him, you know, like how do you feel about this thing? You know, he he kinda talks around it because I, I I genuinely don't think that he had ever had to really confront his role in that until that moment and it was such a public confrontation of that and then what happened is that the day that it aired he walked out into traffic and let himself be run over so I think at that point any guilt that he may have uh, built walls around came flooding in and he just couldn't take it anymore so you know it, I it definitely had an impact on the rest of his life and um it's it ended up being tragic for everybody you know there's a little boy who had to grow up without a father because of him there's a whole movement that basically stalled out because you know yet another great leader was killed um so yeah i, I think it ended up catching up to him i just think it took a while
0: yeah i i agree i think there was a part of him that was hoping somehow people would never find out and he would just be able to go on with his life and somehow forget or forgive himself or compartmentalize what he had done and turn it into he had no other choice. And so that way he wouldn't be at all guilty for it. And so the fact that then he got confronted on television about it was too hard to deal with and too hard to bear and who, and who knows how he felt about it before that too. I mean, I'm sure there was still that guilt, but I think that when it's in your face and you can't hide because there's a camera there, you can't hide because there are people in out in the world. You have no idea how many millions of people are going to watch this interview and see you and see who you are and see your greatest shame unmasked for the whole world to judge. And that probably was just too much. And he just couldn't take it anymore and killed himself because he couldn't live. I think the other part of it is, and I don't know, of course, if this is true or not, but I think the other part of it is knowing that then he would have to deal with the aftermath of everybody seeing this. So he didn't want to have to see that part of it. So people that didn't know about this would know about it. And so he'd have to deal with that.
1: Yeah. Okay. So his involvement in the, in the raid was actually revealed in the early seventies and he was uh, relocated to California under the FBI's witness protection program. Mm -hmm. And so he, he lived there for a while. He returned to Chicago in the middle of the eighties. So in all of this time, you know, He's been under the protection of the FBI because of his. The, these are his silver coins, and we're talking about Judas, um, where he 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 made, um, over two hundred thousand dollars from the FBI, in, you know, in, in um in terms of of money today. If you're looking at it from money today, um, which is a significant sum. He was then protected by the FBI, and he managed to live fairly quietly, and without having to be brought to account for his involvement in this until this interview. Yeah, yeah. And
0: let's uh, well, let's go to Fred Hampton now. I want to talk about Fred Hampton. Um, and I want to talk... First of all, I want to just ask again, we've already sort of mentioned this, but do you think the story should have been focused on him? Do you think it should have been more centered on his life? Do you think it would have been a better film or...
1: I don't know that it would have been a better film. I think it's very uh, evocative this way. But I do think that we're sorely lacking in education on Fred Hampton and his impact. Uh, when we talk about uh, civil rights movement and the, um, who participated in in that, who in the Black community, you know, we, we talk about Rosa Parks. We talk about um, Dr. King. We talk about Malcolm X. You don't really know about Fred Hampton Unless your life is affected by uh, all of the things that he was fighting. Um, And I know that I didn't learn about Fred Hampton until just a few years ago. Because, you know, I really feel that the less effectively a black person's legacy can be either defanged or demonized, the less you hear about them. So this is why we hear so much about Dr. King because they've, you know, defanged his his legacy. Mm-hmm. They they've, you know, they put him on a cloud and said, oh, look, th- this is the, the the good black person that you should aspire to be. He's peaceful and he just wants people to, you know, he has a dream. It's wonderful. It's all cotton candy and and pithy sayings. Um, or you have Malcolm X who is demonized. He's the the black person you don't want to be. He's aggressive mm-hmm. and he he's um dangerous and he's a scary guy um and that's somebody you don't aspire to be you know like oh, don't look behind the curtain he's just an evil man this is the face that we're putting forth for you you couldn't really do that with fred hampton because he was absolutely um none of this you know he mm-hmm. his his vision was very service centered he wanted um the people out there in the community feeding children. He wanted people in the community to set up medical centers. You know, in, in the movie, they're talking about, you know, how can we smuggle you elsewhere? You know, you and uh, and your girlfriend and your baby, how can we get you safely to like Cuba or to, you know, anywhere else? And he's saying, we're wasting time that we could be spending talking about how we're going to feed our community and also he was uh creating this coalition the rainbow the rainbow coalition across all kinds of of oppressed peoples he he was going to um to the crowns this other group that's you know um also very uh, i guess you could say militant they were certainly heavily armed but they they had a, a more um they had a large presence in the area not nationwide like the black panther party mm. so he wanted to join forces so that they could reach more people and basically un- unite the oppressed people in in chicago and then spread out and you know take the world by storm he reached out to to poor black people with com- with confederate flags on their on their walls, because he's saying, you know, we're all in the same fight. Our, our, you know, our. Yes, your ancestors were probably overseers for my ancestors who were sharecroppers. But the result is this: we are not being being treated right by the world at large. Same thing with Puerto Rican groups, mm-hmm. just all across the world. He wanted to build this huge coalition that would not be denied. So he was a very big threat to white supremacy. And um, J. Edgar Hoover was very just completely notorious for his role in upholding white supremacy and and racism. Um, He targeted people like Fred Hampton because he was very effective. He was very respected and beloved. And he couldn't have that because that's how you really get a movement going. It's Yes, it is the people in general, but you can't have that without a leader mm-hmm. and that's who Fred Hampton was and all of this stuff is stuff that I'm learning you know in the last few years because he he didn't get the same treatment as Dr. King or as Malcolm X, so he gets buried instead, and when he died, he was twenty one years old, so he didn't get to live a more storied life and to have a greater impact because he was taken out very young Mm -hmm. and to think 21 and look at what he accomplished in that short amount of time. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I, I knew the name, but I knew practically nothing. And, you know, with the rainbow coalition, I knew very little about that. And, and when people talk about the black panthers, um, when white people talk about the Black Panthers, a lot of it is how they want to kill all white people and they hate all white people and want to destroy every white person. And that's not the case, of course, but that's what sells and that's how you delegitimize a movement is by saying that. I mean, they it's uh, the same thing with Black Lives Matter. I mean, it's the same thing. They're, they do the same thing with that. Same thing with Antifa. It's the same kind of thing if, you know, you got to delegitimize it and say they're dangerous, especially to white people, especially to white people in the suburbs, especially to that, that group. It's like, oh, they're coming with, you know, they're coming to get you. It's that whole thing. Um, And so that's what you learn as a white person. You don't learn the other sides. You don't learn the depth of this person of this human being and how incredibly was and especially to do that it's like you said 21 I mean that is so so young and to have that much of an impact and who knows the greatness he would have accomplished if he wasn't brutally murdered who knows the greatness he would have accomplished if his life wasn't so brutally taken I mean, I just, I can't imagine, I mean, and it's so sad that everything that he was trying to fight for is what is trying to be fought for today. I mean, it's like no
1: movement there. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, I, I think about now and I think about Ferguson and Michael Brown and how it's absolutely devastating that even besides Michael, Michael Brown, we have had so many similar um, murders and so many uh, attempted cover-ups and all of this, even with the prevalence of of cameras and phones and audio and all of the stuff that's, you know, how can you deny something that is being recorded and shown to you, but there are always excuses and there are always, you know, ways around it. Um, and the other similarity is that these murders are still going on, these uh, cover-up murders, because look at the fact that so many of the Ferguson activists have just disappeared or mysteriously Mm -hmm. died in the few years since, since Michael Brown's death and the Ferguson protests. How can you say that this is a thing of the past when this is still happening? It's just, we're working the same Issues over and over again, and, and making so little progress and little traction because there just isn't. Um, because people are so eager to believe these characterizations of black people seeking actual liberty, that they don't. You know, you're looking at a at uh, somebody being killed as they're just trying to walk home. And the first question is, what what do they do? You know, Mm -hmm. like, how, you know, tell me how it's their fault so I can fit that into my mind the way that I want to.
0: Yeah, and and you'll see it when videos are even posted of uh, a racist going on a rant. Um, And you'll always see comments. Well, we don't see what happened right before this. So we don't know. And the thing is, is, You don't need to know because, you know, you you know what you're seeing. You don't need to know the few seconds before that, because what you're seeing is white supremacy. You're seeing racism. You're seeing innocent people being murdered and not being punished for it and being murdered for simply existing. And I mean, that's the truth for simply existing. Yeah people are being murdered. I mean, you look at Elijah McLean here in in Colorado, the big one here. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's just it's just how people cannot still can't see it. I mean, it's mind-boggling, but yet it's not, sadly, because it's so norm and regular. And I mean, if someone was to actually see it and something was to actually happen, sadly, that would be more shocking then nothing happening. Yeah. So we need to teach this stuff in schools. We need to learn the truth and not, you know, some whitewashed version. We need to learn the truth about these characters, about, I'm sorry, not characters, these people, sorry. We need to learn the truth about their legacy. We need to learn the truth about what they were fighting for and why it is still relevant today and why we, this is still being fought for today. We need to learn the truth about this because that's the only way you can improve is by learning and by educating. Cause I didn't know I'm still learning and I didn't, I didn't learn this in school right. and I didn't even learn this in high school. And I went to a progressive high school
1: and I didn't even learn this. So. Right. And, and that's just it. You know, like when people say um, that liberalism is not as, uh, as far to the left as you think it is, It's because it's true. It's, um, well, you know, but if you would just try to get along or if you would just explain things more calmly, if you could just try to be nicer to the way way people that you're approaching, then maybe they would take you more seriously. And it's like, well, good God, it's been 400 years of your time will come. When is that actually going to happen? We've demonstrated that clearly – doing things peacefully is not going to get us anywhere, mm-hmm. so what's left? You know, um, and, and that's that's the truth. And then on the other side of that is the people who are victimized brutally by white su- supremacy are then turned around and made into these examples of what not to be. Trayvon Martin, who was this, this kid He's killed. And what does the media do? They they find like the most, you know, scary black man pictures of him that they can. And those are the ones that they run. Anytime that you have a, a black person killed by police or by some random white person who is afraid for their lives. The first thing that they, that they do is look for pictures of them posted on social media where they look threatening or they look mm-hmm. scary or they tout their, you know like an arrest for drug possession or just whatever awful thing they think that they can find. And those are the pictures that are run about them. And then when you're you're talking about the murderer, they're posting pictures of their family. Mm -hmm. And that's how, even in this century, we're still being lied to. Just like how we were told that Fred Hampton brought this on, on himself because he was leading a terrorist group we're now being told that um that all of these people deserve to be killed because they were threatening in some way or because they had a history of bad behavior so you know good riddance it, it's it's still here mm-hmm. you know like with with Jake White in the in the film his mother is begging um Fred Hampton to Remind the community that he was a good kid. He was, you know, a good person. That he wasn't this cop murderer that they're that they're trying to paint him to be. Um, he was defending himself because somebody that he thought he could trust called the police on him. He had made no threat to this person, but this person saw him with with a gun, which you know, frankly, they carried guns, big mm-hmm. guns. So it wasn't anything weird. It's just like, oh, no, like, you know, let me sick the entire Chicago police department on you. Um, so he's running for his life. He can't. Um, he He's surrounded by by police. He happens to have a gun. He's defending himself. And now he's the bad guy. So it's the same story over and over again.
0: Yeah. And the other thing you'll see with like, um, With, For instance, with uh, school shooters or any mass shooters when they're white, you always hear, he was such a nice boy, such a nice boy, did this. He was just misunderstood or he was bullied until he did it, like that whole myth about Columbine, which isn't true. And you don't see that when you see a black man murdered by the police or a black woman murdered by the police. You don't see the same thing of like... You know she or he was an amazing human being you'll see like you said like finding anything they can autopsy is done um anything we can find that lets the white supremacy the machine of white supremacy off the hook again um because if you are going to look at that if you're going to really look at the reality and look at the fact that people are being murdered for simply being, for simply existing. If you really look at that reality, then you have to confront so much about yourself and you have to confront whiteness and how whiteness works. And you have to confront the power structures in this country. And you have to confront the fact that this country is not as great and wonderful as this country claims to be. And you have to confront the histories and centuries of oppression in this country. And the fact that we stole this land, white people stole this land. And that oppression as well, and the colonization, and the fact that it was built on the backs of of bodies, and white people built it on the backs of other bodies, and we have to confront that. And white people don't want to confront that. They don't want to look at that, because they want to say, that was centuries ago, that was hundreds of years ago, that's not today. But the effects of that are still today, and that is still today. You still have that today, the way systems work, the way um, the prison industrial complex works. That's all a part of that. That's all a part of that system. And we just don't want to look at it. And we don't want to truly look at it and truly confront what that means for us and truly confront any little thing that we do that plays on that or any way we benefit from that. Because we do. It doesn't – I benefit from it. I mean, there's just no ifs, ands, or buts about that. I remember – very vividly going to a party. I had one beer. I wasn't drunk driving home. My tail light was broken and I was in the middle of somewhere and a cop pulled me over and I was nervous. I was nervous about getting a ticket. I did do, you know, I'm a white person. I don't have the same fear and the cop was so supremely nice to me. Didn't give me a ticket Didn't do anything. He gave me his card so that if I got pulled over again, I could say, here, I already did. I already know I'm going to get it fixed. He gave me a name of a mechanic. All these other things. He made sure I was okay. And I had had a beer. I had had a beer. So I don't even know if I smelled like alcohol or anything. It was late at night. There were no other cars around. Didn't try to do a sobriety check. That is white privilege. That's my white privilege right there if I was a black man or a black woman it would not have gone the same way there's just no way because of the fact that number one it was late at night number two I was very nervous and it was very obvious I was nervous um number three I don't know if you could smell any alcohol on me so I always recall that when I try when you know I'm like that is white privilege right right there That's why I was able to drive home safely. That's why I was able to leave without even a ticket. I was able to leave with all this information of try to help me
1: instead of hurt me. Right. And, you know, I remember, and thankfully I haven't had anything major, but I was, you know, I was going through a heartbreak. So what I, what I used to do when I felt heartbroken or sad or whatever, is I would drive. So it was, um, after 10 or something, I was driving up in the West Palm Beach area and um, I was in a fancy neighborhood and I was just driving aimlessly, just like (laughs) thinking sad thoughts and listening to sad music. And I got pulled over for no real reason. I mean, I, I, I wasn't doing anything and I wasn't bothering anybody. My music wasn't particularly loud. And also I was playing Lorena McKenna so it's not like base was thumping or anything, but I was in the, I was in the wrong neighborhood and, um, I was pulled over for also for a, um, for exactly the same thing that you were pulled over, but I got a ticket and, you know, like I, I had to get out of the car. So I, I, I was worried. And the thing is, you know, like I'm, I'm light skinned, so it's not the same fear it's still a fear but it's not the same so there's still levels of privilege there um but you know the, i i've gotten pulled over several times for no good reason i know my father has gotten pulled over way more times for no good reason and issued tickets and you know all of this stuff um and people who have been treated much worse just for existing, just for, for taking a drive.
0: Yeah. And I, I think that's why it's important um, for white people to remember those incidents, incidents in their life. And when you're hearing the the other side, because it's, you were pulled over for the exact same reason that I was pulled over and how different that is. I mean, I even pulled over where it wasn't even necessarily all the way out of the road. And I wasn't asked to get out of the car and I wasn't treated poorly. I was treated like I'm going to make you feel better about this. That's how I was approached instead of I'm going to make you feel terror and feel horror and fear. I'm going to put you at ease. And Mm -hmm. that's the stark contrast there of the fact that I'm white. I mean that's that's what it is, is that's that's what you look at is that's the white my the white privilege at work and that's
1: how I benefit from it. Right. But the thing is too, I think that a lot of white people, precisely because they're treated so much more nicely, when a black person tells them, Well, this is my story, they're like, That's not possible. What did you do? Mm-hmm. Because like you must have done something really bad to be treated that way. And the person's like, it's just because I'm black. And the the white person's like, that, that's not possible. Like, don't be ridiculous. Racism isn't a thing. Like, you must have done something, what did you do? Or maybe that officer was just having a bad day and took it out on you. Like, that really sucks. But mm-hmm. the the end result is much different for black people than it is for for white people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean,
0: yeah, because it is that's why whenever you see those videos posted everybody always says well we didn't see what happened before such and such happened Mm -hmm. Um, because there has to be a reason because it can't be racism
1: it can't be racism that just can't be a thing right Uh, it's 2021 that doesn't exist (laughs) right and that's why you know Fred Hampton could be murdered in in his sleep and it's not the FBI's fault there was an investigation and there was nothing wrong you know, like they, they shot in self defense. The Black Panthers shot of one shot to the FBI's and the police departments, 99 shots. And yet the people who were there and who were arrested were going to be charged with, with you know, attempted murder or whatever. Like, how does that make sense? Yeah, it doesn't. But you also look at. Um, not Sandra Bland, I'm so sorry. Brianna Taylor. Mm-hmm. Look at her story. She was in her bed. Police broke in. On a no knock warrant. Her boyfriend was trying to defend himself. In a place like he had a right. To defend himself. The police just shoot wantonly. And then they arrest him. For. You know. Attempting to murder them. Like please. And Brianna Taylor is dead. And that's supposed to be okay. We're supposed to be to, to just accept the, the fact that, oh well, you know, like shots were fired by the inhabitants of the of the place. Because somebody broke in. But you know. Yeah, we and
0: um, you know, the other the other thing is it's not just that white people don't want to look at their part in it and look at the fact that it exists. They don't want that system to crumble. Right. Because they don't want to not have that power and that all plays into the same thing where they know (laughs) that there is racism deep down you know that because the worry and the fear always is of
1: being the other is how it's kind of viewed i think in white right yeah and that's exactly how these how the fbi was looking at it They, they kept saying you know when and there was a point at which you think that maybe roy mitchell might not be so bad because he kinda looks like he doesn't, you know, he 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 even tells um Bill O'Neill that, you know, like I believe in all of these inequality, basically, is what he's what he's saying. But then when his superiors are basically saying, No, we have to get the upper hand on these black people because they're about to get equality, which Equality to a white supremacist or 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 an a polar white supremacy means they're getting close to having rights and freedoms. You know, to, to them, it's it's awful to think that black people might have agency in in their lives. Like, oh my god, we can't have that. That is too close to them overtaking us. Nowhere near it is that a fact, and. What is so threatening about having equality? Well, the the threat is having to look at a black person and say, you're just as good as I am. You're worth as much as as I am. You you have value too. And that's unfathomable.
0: Yeah. Seeing humanity and seeing the humanity there and seeing that you deserve as much happiness and dreams as I do. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's threatening. So. Yeah, it's yeah. Um, I want to move on to Daniel Kalua. Kalua. Daniel Kalua. Kalua. I can normally <laughs> say his name, I honestly can. Um, Daniel Kalua's. I know that's not how you say it. I'm sorry, Daniel Kalua. Oh ah, my gosh, this is
1: so embarrassing. I'm Have sorry. Have you been drinking Kalua and you're just like, Whoa. Daniel
0: Kalua? <laughs> okay. I want to move on to his performance. I'm just going to say Daniel's performance because I'm sorry. I'm butchering your last name. I really am terribly sorry. Um, so I, I want to move on to his his performance and how, how brilliant did you think he was is all
1: i to say. Yeah, I mean, because, like, that's really all you can say. He's – he, as it is, he's a very charismatic actor. He's very easy to identify with because his face does – these tiny, it's that micro acting that I love so much. That is my favorite kind of acting where everything just, you know, neck up and it's all there and it's mind blowing how somebody can be that talented. And yet he is. So yeah, he absolutely was Fred Hampton. He, um, he was all of these contradictory things where, um, He's confident enough to walk into these places where he might just get killed. He walks into the the stronghold of the Crowns, mm-hmm. just with his head held high, um, demanding a an audience with the the with Steele, the the man who is the head of the Crowns. He walks into this place with this massive Confederate flag, and tells the preacher there, "Hey." where our goals are aligned, let's just make this work, in the face of all of these many, many white people who are clearly not his friends. Um just he he steps into all of these places with um with confidence because he, his mission and his heart are guiding him. You know, like like how people say, you know, like I have no fear for God walks with me. His view is very similar, but his uh that that light that gives him that um freedom from fear is a righteous cause and wanting to make the world better for the people who are not being served by um, by the government and by the oppressors and all of it you know considering the fact that Fred Hampton's story was not the major focal point of the film, you still walk away feeling his presence very deeply. Like I walked out of this, you know, um, well, walked out as, you know, I, I walked off my couch, I guess, very interested in learning more about Fred Hampton. And it's not just because Bill O'Neill was aligned with the with the dark side in this in this movie. But also because Daniel Kaluuya, his performance really makes you so invested in Fred Hampton and, and in the words that he's saying and and, and everything that um, that he's trying to make a reality. He's, he's just, he's masterful. I mean, I, I'm trying to think of any role that I've seen him in where I'm just like, he was okay, and there just really isn't any. What uh, the one thing, though, and and you pointed it out in your in your outline, is the age, because Daniel Kaluuya is thirty one at the time that this movie is released, and Fred Hampton was twenty one, um, and similarly, Lakeith Stanfield is significantly older than Bill O'Neill was when all of this was taking place, and I sincerely don't understand that. I don't understand the decision to use older actors to play these young men. Um, certainly they're extremely talented. They're fabulous actors. But I just wonder, you know, like, why not cast somebody closer to their ages? And it's not even like the typical Hollywood thing where like, you know, th- this girl, oh, she's 16, but she's played by a 30 year old. It's not even that, you know, Um but I know that they're that they're big names, and especially because they were both in get out together, so they're um there's such a great impact in seeing them together in a film, but I don't know that um that you wouldn't have gotten the same effect with somebody younger,
0: yeah and that's been that's been like a big criticism of the film. is the fact that um it. It is older actors. Um, But yeah, but uh, Daniel Kluis, his performance. Oh, my God, this guy, I just. There is nothing this actor can't do. I, I, I just hands down. I don't think there is a certain part out there that he couldn't play. I don't I mean, any century, any year, any anything, any genre, he can play that. And just really as a quick aside, speaking of Get Out, I don't know if you saw that he's probably going to be in Jordan Peele's next project. I don't know if you saw that. I did. I did.
1: And I'm very excited about it.
0: Yeah. Very, very exciting. Um, But there's, you know, the very first time you see Fred Hampton and when he's sitting in the chair and his body is positioned a certain way and you instantly know the character. But there's also so many different levels that you are going to get to know. And, you know, he's this amazing orator and he's like, I mean, oh my gosh, the speeches are just mind-blowingly amazing and the words and which of course, you know, I mean, he's saying the words and they aren't his words, but still the way he says them and the way he commands that room and the space And yet he has such an amazing and beautiful heart as well. And there's so much love behind everything he's doing. There's just love. That's the big thing I got and took away from him was he just loves, loves. And his love for women and not just the love story, but his love for women, for black women was incredible. The fact that he wanted women to be as much in power as he was.
1: That was fantastic to see. Like, he absolutely uh, he had um, Judy there, mm-hmm. and she was. He respected her the way he respected any of his comrades. There was no, oh well, you know, she can't do that because she a, she's she's a woman and you know she's she's too delicate. None of that, and there was no second guessing her. It's just Comrade Judy is the point person for this, and that's all that there is to it. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and if there was any disrespect of a woman it was like ah uh-uh, you do not disrespect a woman and that was just incredible i mean and talk about ahead of your time being like that i mean that's just amazing so it's just like he's just such an incredible it was, he was such an incredible human being and the performance is just it's just so i just the fact that there's even a question about him getting nominated this year
1: is just Oh, it just makes me want to just
0: punch it, somebody,
1: it, honestly. Yes. No, absolutely. Because he's he's fantastic. And the, I, I just, the movie had, you know, it, it was, it's trying to split itself between the story of the Judas and the Messiah figure. But even with that, like I said, you know, Daniel Kaluuya, his presence is throughout every single thing. And I love a Keith Stanfield, but it, th- there's yeah. no question to me, and there's no question to me that if you're, if we're going to talk about who is um, the lead actor in the movie, it's it's going to be both of them, the, just the way it's positioned, because th- mm-hmm. they're they're trying to make Bill and Neil happen, but it's really all about Fred Hampton in the end.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and just everything. I mean, it's a
0: career-defining performance, even though I think – I mean, he's going to do a bazillion other career-defining performances. I mean, come on. It's, it's him. I mean, there's just no doubt about that. And I do believe – hopefully not naively, but I do believe one point he will win an Oscar. And there was – briefly, there was talk that he was going to win an Oscar for this, and now that's died down, sadly. But he's just so – it's just, there's no words I'm speechless because he's just so incredible in this movie. Everything he does, his voice, his mannerisms, and his eyes, his eyes, his eyes, his
1: eyes. Yes, he's got yes. the best eyes in the world. Doesn't <laughs> he?
0: Oh, my God.
1: You know, because oh we, we, we've talked, I feel like, like in the last, 2021 is the year <laughs> of eyes on big pod. Like, we've been talking True. about eyes up to our eyeballs in in 2021 in the podcast Um, but yeah he he just for all that that we've talked about Denzel Washington and um, Viola Davis and Glenn Turman and Chadwick Bozeman Daniel Kaluuya still has an edge on them with the eyes the scene in the jail where where they're sitting at the cafeteria table and he's looking at, at this man who is beaten bloody and I just you know I remember that and then in Get Out this moment where he just he's just sitting and he just moves his eyes and takes your soul with them basically because you're just left thinking about that moment he can do stuff with his just the the most minute facial expressions with just the, the most subtle movement of his eyes that takes your breath away and kind of steals the scene. Mm -hmm. He's just so...
0: He's just so incredibly powerful to watch on screen. And there's just this thing about him where, you know, and he's played scary characters like in Widows. He was absolutely terrifying in Widows. Absolutely terrifying. Like, chilling to your bone. He's just Um, commanding. Yeah, he just, he just commands. And, but the thing he also does so well is the vulnerability. I mean, he just imbues his characters with vulnerability, even the scary ones. And one of my favorite scenes in the movie is, it's the first, really, it's right before their first kiss with uh, Fred Hampton and Deborah Johnson. she comes in and she's watching him from afar where he's like rehearsing and he's Quoting and, and she comes in and he's all nervous, you know, and she says, you're, sh- you're so shy. I never thought you'd be so shy. And it's my favorite scene in the movie because it's yes. so,
1: is that It's yours? so pure. Yes. It's so pure and it's so sweet. <sighs> and and that's just, you know, you have all of this going on and it's it's a reminder of the humanity underneath all of this story. Because, you know, w- when you're talking about biopics, particularly about um, civil rights heroes and um just pretty much anybody who is going into a life or death struggle for a greater cause you do need that that element that grounds them but also because it is a biopic you're talking about people's lives and you're talking about how nobody's life can just be a cause there's usually family involved friendships always something there and in this particular story you have his relationship with Deborah and just how beautifully it started when you know she calls him a poet and and he's like oh never heard that one before that's pretty cool and then she's um she's very taken with him and it's very sweet because she seems to be like the more she doesn't seem particularly shy but she seems to have like this great admiration for him Almost like a, a kind of fangirlish thing. But then it's <laughs> it's more like. Like oh my gosh. This cute girl noticed me. What am yes. I going to do? Like mm-hmm. oh, She's talking to me. And she notices the stuff that I like. What? And it's mm-hmm. sweet. It is so sweet. And a movie with so much. Um, so much suffering. And so much trauma. And you have these beautiful moments. Mm-hmm. Oh.
0: Yeah, it was so, I mean, the, everything about that scene. I could just watch that scene over and over again because everything about it is so great. And when he finally, when he kisses her, it's like, that was a kiss, too. Oh, yes. my gosh, that was a kiss. That was like, was beautiful. that was like, it's, it's take like, your breath away, kiss. <laughs> yes. It, it's kind
1: of like a a bit of a slow burn mm-hmm. because you're like, oh, well, they won't. They. Obviously, they will. Like, <laughs> we know this, but... It still looks so beautiful and sweet. And oh,
0: I just can't get enough of that. Yeah, and even the way she tells him how she takes her coffee. I mean, even that yes. for some reason was so sweet and beautiful to me. And so it was like that. It was like it was almost like your your first love and your first crush. And it was just oh. and for everything else that's going on. That's why it's so nice to have this love story in there, I think, um, because you have to. To have that in here, you have to have that humanity in there and also show another side and show another Mm -hmm. side to Fred Hampton. And it was just so great to watch. And I loved watching her um, during one of the speeches where you – where the camera's on her and she wipes away just one tear because she loves this man so much. And she's so proud of this man. And even though they do have that real discussion about how she's like, you know, I'm pregnant and I I can't be worrying. I can't be doing this. And, and they have that real moment. So there is a lot of depth to that relationship. And it's just, I mean, and then just that kiss, I'm sorry, but that's one of the best kisses I've ever seen.
1: (laughs) It's so sweet and loving and also very, very hot. I mean, yes, <laughs> it's like a swoon perfect on-screen man. swoon moment. Yeah, it's a total swoon moment, which, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad for um, for a lot of reasons, but not the least of which is that it's, it's a moment of, of release as an audience member where you're just watching it and you're like, good, he, he got to have love in his life
0: yeah he deserved that and and they were so good together and they fit together so well and yeah I mean it really that's really hands down my favorite scene in the movie because it's just it's so real like you said and yeah I mean I really that that kiss is just swoon worthy forever <laughs> it's gonna be yes. in my top movie kisses forever because it's just it's just oh, oh. I'm like man she must have been like almost fainting in her <laughs>
1: <laughs> but we're almost fainting. I mean, <laughs> like, I don't know how she felt, but I'm I certainly know. like,
0: Ooh. I was like Ooh, wow. was <laughs> even
1: <laughs> fun. <laughs> you could put it that way.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and we've already really, is there anything else you want to add on the love story? I'm sorry. Is there anything else you want to add with that at all?
1: Just that, you know, again, knowing what little i do about about fred hampton i didn't know um well i i had read and i just didn't really remember that that she is pregnant when he when he dies and that their son is born like maybe a month after his death um so the love story it does go on because she stays in the cause as she um, keeps working towards their goals because they, they shared a goal. She wasn't there just by accident just to scope them out or anything. She she was part of the cause before they even um, got together. But part of their relationship and part of the beauty of their relationship was that they were partners. For, you know, it wasn't a very long time that they got to be together, but in the time that they were together, they were partners. And she raised her son In the movement um, and he is the chairman of the offshoot of that movement which is um, a beautiful continuation of Fred Hampton's legacy and uh, it just shows a devotion and a commitment to their common goal um, that she didn't shy away from from continuing within it even after her partner, her her lover, was brutally murdered because of his participation in it. So in, in that way, it's, it's like their love story continues because, you know, they were still pretty much in their honeymoon phase. They were still in that joyous moment where, yeah, she had her reservations because, I mean, who wouldn't? Mm-hmm. Um, but they were still very much in love. So it's like, in the worst way possible, that, uh, that feeling was preserved in number. And it, it says something about um, her love for
0: this man and her belief in the cause that it continued on after that. And that she made sure it continued on after that. And she made sure her son knew who his dad was.
1: Absolutely. And
0: continued on. And that's that says a lot. Um and it says a lot for who he was as a man too. So yeah. Yeah. Um, and we've already touched a lot on the relevance of this story today. Uh is there anything else you wanna add to that at all, Carla? Or
1: I, I simply can't. It's yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. Not because it doesn't matter. But because it matters so much, and it's so draining, that I, I just physically can't. Yeah. And and I'm going to put trigger warnings
0: in front of this episode, too, just to let you know, because I think this could be very, very, very triggering for people. So I just, yeah. I'm going to put that in the beginning here, too. Um, yeah, because I know a lot of people don't want to watch this movie because it is so triggering, and I totally... I mean, I can't understand, but I understand i mean
1: right um well i so, mean yeah. like i I had a hard time deciding whether or not I wanted to watch it, and in the end, for me it it was more of a of an I have to think because of of my levels of privilege. I felt like this isn't something that i get, that I get to shy away from, and also because my son is even lighter than me he, he's basically a white passing so i don't want him to grow up without this information this knowledge i'm not going to have my seven-year-old watch this movie don't worry parents of america but i certainly want to have the information to pass on to him and i feel that you know for as much as um biopics get tweaked for watchability that in a lot of ways they they do help um bring to life material that can be very it's just kind of hard to really get into it just on a on a page, not because we don't care but because certainly watching it played out it's a different experience than just reading about it,
0: yeah yeah, and i and I want to add. When I said um, I understand people not wanting to see this, I think every white person should see this. So I'm not understanding when you don't want to see it. So I do want to add that because I think it's important for for white people to see this movie. And then I what I think is important is and I need to go do this is to go learn more and go read more and watch, you know, in read more of the speeches and just read up and read up and learn and educate yourself and go out and do that. So that that's another big thing that I, that I need to do. Um, well, I want to end on just a little note. I just wanted to talk about since, you know, I love music and I want to talk about the score in this and
1: I just wanted to get your overall impressions of the score. Oh, it packs a punch and it's used sparingly, which is perfect mm-hmm. for this kind of movie um, there. It, it's uh, a lot of, of like jazz style. And um, I, I'm not very knowledgeable about the, about the style of music, but all I know is that there are just um, notes and beats that, that hit you out of nowhere at very strategic moments. And they start to highlight a particular interaction or particular um, big deal thing that's going on. And it's, it's used, I think, to the To a perfect effect, I think a lot of movies can take should take note from from this because I think a lot of a lot of times like they they just you know it's a period piece, so they they want to cram it with with as much relevant music as possible, and it makes for a great soundtrack, don't get me wrong, but at the same time it just ends up taking away from the film as a whole and I think in this instance, that's not what happened. I think that it served its purpose and then got out of the way of the, of the performances.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's it's That's what a good score should do. It shouldn't overpower the film. It should enhance the film when it needs to. Um, and it should be just a part of the film where in a lot of instances, even when it's there, you might not even notice it. It just becomes such a part of the fabric. Yeah, but I just wanted to make sure to talk about it because I just... I love music anyway, of course. And I love the score so much. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think this has been a really, really great conversation. Um, And I really appreciate you having this conversation with me, Carla.
1: So, I just want to say that. Thank you so much. Well, I I want to – I just want to say that that it's really great to be able to openly discuss a movie like this. And, you know, I'm – just a new and small part of the podcasting world and the podcasting community. Um, and you really make this a safe space to really explore all of the nuances of, of these movies. Like that, That's how I feel. I feel like I can just let loose all of my, my thoughts about this without, without judgment, which I appreciate. Well, thank
0: you very much for saying that, that, that means a lot to me. So I'm, I'm glad that it feels that way. That's my goal with this. And I want to say, you know, yes, we are highlighting Black History Month. But my goal with this podcast is not to be like, okay, we're only going to highlight it during Black History Month. I just thought it was important because of it being Black History Month to make sure that we did highlight um, Black films, Black creators and um, black shows. But I want want that to continue on because I think it's important that, you know, and not just, and and also uh, other people of color as well. And then also, of course, LGBTQ plus and everything. I think it's very important to highlight that. Um, And yes, not everything we have on here will be that some will be very white. I mean, we're going to be talking about friends. Um. (laughs) Which I will be
1: on that episode, so... (laughs)
0: But, but thank you for saying that. Sorry. I, um, I really appreciate that because I want it to be that way. And I know I'm still learning and I'm still making mistakes and still growing. Um, but my goal with this podcast is to have a welcoming place for people to come and discuss art and why art is so important and why we love our art. And yes, TV shows are art. And yes, film is art. And I want to be able to have a place where people can come and feel comfortable and feel welcome and feel comfortable enough to even tell me if they don't feel welcome or don't feel comfortable or feel like something isn't okay or call me out or anything or call other um, people on the panel out um, and know that I will support you unless it's like something where you are being you know, prejudice in your own calling out, um, that I will not tolerate. (laughs) Um, but, but other than, you know, I want it to be a place where we can all learn and grow. And, um, that's my goal. And that's my goal with the future of the podcast. And that's my goal with the offshoots of the podcast, which is one of my goals and hopes. Um, and yes, this, I mean, this podcast consumes, so much of my life. I mean, it's, I mean, no joke. It's like, I might be working on other things and I still am looking. I woke up this morning at like earlier than I wanted to wake up, like six o'clock or something. And I didn't want to wake up that early cause I'd gone to bed really late. Um, and I, the first thing I did was check stuff about the podcast. That's the very first thing I did. And I'm like, Erin, you're not even out of bed yet. I hadn't even gotten out of bed yet. <laughs> so that's how important this is to me. And so I'm hoping I'm hoping it comes across and I'm hoping I can reach more people and bring more people in because I love film. I love art. I love, I love film so much. I, I can't even begin to say how much I love film and I love TV as well. And other things that we've talked about, but film is like film and music are my number ones. And so if I can at all, I don't know, be able to talk about it, it is like, Yes, this is a lot of work, but it's so much joy and so much fun to do, and I just, I love it so much, even when it's emotional, but I'm like, I, I'm in, unlike you, Carla, I cry very easily, <laughs> <laughs> and I hate it, I absolutely hate that, I hate that I cry so easily, because all of a sudden, I'll be crying, and I don't even realize I'm crying, and I'm like, why am I crying? This is so stupid, I, so I, you know, I'm like, no, do not cry, <laughs> Um, But anyway, I just, so thank you for saying that. I really appreciate it. Um, And you honestly are, you know, no offense to any of our other panelists at all, because I love my panelists, but you are my absolute favorite panelist to have on here. Because I think we have some of the best discussions when you're on, uh, because you are so thoughtful and you're so knowledgeable and you're just such an incredible person and you see that in everything you're saying and i mean like i still think about our get out episode i still think that was one of the best episodes we did
1: i, I thought i episode.
0: yeah i had so much fun doing the nighttime soaps episode with you it was just such yes. a fun light episode that we did and your interview which everybody go check that out if you haven't listened to that yet but yeah so thank you thank you
1: <laughs> i'm just happy to get to chat with one of my my dearest friends about something that we're both passionate about Yeah, so thank you. And see, I'm getting emotional, see? Dang, (laughs) dang. I'm sitting here like, you you get visibly emotional. I get like emotionally constipated. So it's there. It's just not coming out. (laughs) The tears are are, are caught at at the tear sphincter.
0: (laughs) It'll come out in our new hit single. Our new Blue Eggs hit single. (laughs) Our Blue Eggs hit single, that's right. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Carla. Seriously, this has been these past few days have been amazing for me personally. So this has been such a great cherry on top of everything. So
1: really, thank you. Thank you. It's always a pleasure. Thank you so much for, for having me constantly.
0: <laughs> I love having you constantly. I always get sad when I look at the schedule and it's like episode, episodes and no Carla. Right. I get, I get sad. Yeah. Aww. Yeah. And I think, yeah, you're not going to be back until Donnie Darko, but not that long. Well, that's so mm-hmm. yes. I will be back in a couple of weeks. Yes. Yes. And that is going to be <laughs> everybody's going to get so embarrassed for me because I <laughs> love that movie on a on a level that is very, very, very.
1: I don't know if it's disturbing or it's <laughs> not at all. Just think George Clooney, but as a movie, he is the George Clooney of movies. You know, that th- that's that's, how, so that's what Donnie Darko is for you. Yeah, I mean,
0: I honestly, seriously, when I got, when I bought the movie, I seriously watched the whole thing or part of it every day for a month. I am not kidding.
1: And sometimes I watch I, you know, it multiple times. <laughs> I, I think it's funny that you say this so embarrassingly as if I didn't do the same thing with Eurovision. Oh, yeah. And that's... Like, A Night at the Roxbury. <laughs> like, if, if we want to talk about people who need to be embarrassed of what they consume, mm, I think maybe...
0: <laughs> no that's not it imp- see and that's another reason I love this podcast is we can sit here and talk about this stuff and I can talk about it with other people and other panelists and stuff and talk about our love of film and different films and it can it can make you feel like you're not alone in thinking yes. of how, how powerful and amazing these things are and it's like every it,
1: it's just it makes you feel less um ostracized and like you're weird and like yeah. you're like well well I, I feel like you know and and you you went to a to an alternative school like a a school that that was for kids who were interested in in the arts and i went to a very white catholic school <laughs> <laughs> but i i you know i didn't think that i could share my passions for stuff because like even my close friends were like oh carla chill when I would talk about like the X Files and I'm like, you don't understand what the show is, you know? And it's not until like this portion of my life when I've come across so many awesome fangirls who just geek out with about just minutia, about shows that may or may not be particularly good. Past the second season in particular, that we won't name, like the Mindy Project. <laughs> But, yeah, it absolutely makes me feel less alone in, in like, my, my fangirling hobby.
0: Good. Yeah, me too. It's, like, it's incredible because I can sit here and have, like, we have, like, these long conversations and you never for once feel judged. Like, I don't feel judged yeah. by the fact that I just said I watched Donnie Darko more than 30 times in a month's time because I know it was more than 30 times. And I would watch just clips of it. I would mm-hmm. sometimes just watch the ending scene. Over and over again, I watched every single director's. Because I love commentaries, on I know some people don't like them. I love them. That's probably because I like the other ins and outs of filmmaking. But I love watching the direct. So it's like a director's commentary, and then there's actors' commentary. And, and I didn't really know who Jake Gyllenhaal was at that time, and I just happened. You know, it was was one of the first movies I ever got from Netflix, and it's just like, see, oh my gosh, I'm going to be so embarrassing on this episode.
1: No, because you know what? I'm sitting here thinking, <laughs> I can't believe that you only watched it like a month in a row. Well, like what happened all the, those other months?
0: <laughs> just the initial? Well, see, when I rented it, I kept it for like a week or something. I kept it until I knew I was getting the movie <laughs> right away. And then I returned it. You know, when we do the Donnie Darko episode, I'll talk about why that movie means so much to me personally. Because um, I see it in a totally different way than other people do, I think. Um, but yeah, it was just, it was just this, um, this moment where, you know, you'll have those movies where it's just like, it just speaks to your soul and your heart. And, you know, like, that's what happened to me with, um, like silver linings playbook and, um, a star is born and, you know, uh, um, waves to a degree as well, although waves is, a very hard one to watch. Like I couldn't watch that 30 days in a row. I think I would, I'd be going to a deep, deep depression. <laughs> <laughs> um, but loose was like that too. I've seen loose quite a few times as well. And, you know, there's and promising young woman I'm sure is going to become oh, that yeah. for me.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I love but- how you're, you're naming all of these great, like <laughs> critically acclaimed films that have deep themes and motifs and Wonderful cinematography, and I'm like, Yeah, man, that's me in Eurovision. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's awesome. <laughs> like, have you even lived until you've watched Zoolander and Dodgeball just nothing but Zoolander and Dodgeball for a whole month and a half? Like, it, it, what kind of life are you leading?
0: <laughs> well, hey, I love Office Space, like, I've seen Office Space. That's it. That's one of my favorite movies too. And so. see
1: that that's a cult classic that's beloved by many like film kind of people and I'm like, "Yeah, um have you tried Bubble Boy because I really like that one?"
0: Oh, Bubble Boy. Jay well. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That was a great film. I don't care what anybody says.
0: <laughs> but yeah, so you're just getting a taste of what I'm going to be like when I talk about
1: Bob. <laughs> And how much I look forward to it.
0: How much I just I just love that movie so 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 much that I just I that it makes me so sad that I don't like any of his other movies that Richard Kelly's not. I don't like any of his other movies. And he's but he has said he wants to explore the world of Donnie Darko more. He recently said that,
1: and I about fainted. I can just imagine. Well, this is when, when we do, like, I, I think in 2024, when we do, like, just um, alternating months of George Clooney and Donnie Darko.
0: <laughs>
1: just, you know, a 12-month series on different aspects of each.
0: Oh, my gosh. Wow. That <laughs> and then we should sprinkle in some horror because I really, I honestly, listeners, I I want to do more horror. I really want to talk about horror films more. <laughs> it's like a thing that I'm like I stopped myself from adding it to the schedule cuz I know so many panelists it's not necessarily their thing. Um but I that's why I do want to do an offshoot called It's a Horror Thing. And I don't know if there already is a podcast
1: called that. But that's go grab all my... of the social media go like I know I like Feel I the deal. Do now. You you, you need to do that.
0: Yeah, and we're going to eventually cuz we're going to have some we have some interviews coming up and we're going to eventually do kind of an offshoot thing where it will be the interviews will be kind of a separate thing right now. They're going to be considered part of this, um, but I want them to be kind of a separate thing. I haven't decided what that's
1: going to be yet. It's okay, so uh, an interview thing.
0: Oh, I did think about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've been thinking like it's a comedy thing. It's an action thing. It's a sci-fi thing. It's a television thing. <laughs> it's a mobile
1: thing. Oh, it's a mumblecore thing. <laughs> it's a Regency, Regency thing. I love that. It's a mumblecore thing. <laughs> Just very specific, like really niche um, uh, little groups of yes. things. Yes. I think that's serious. Yes. But,
0: um, but anyway, so that's giving you kind of an insight into what the future is. And I know we've Totally just kind con- of on a tangent, but I think it was a lot of fun. It was a fun tangent. So,
1: so basically then a whole other episode.
0: <laughs> I know. This has is... <laughs> the most interesting weekend. <laughs> the most interesting night. Um, at least I'm not in a horror movie anymore. I've got <laughs> like...
1: That's true. I don't have
0: to say, hey, I'm up here.
1: <laughs>
0: in my flimsy nightgown. Yes, in my little flimsy nightgown. I'm up here. I have a nightgown that would work perfect for that, actually. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry, listeners. (laughs) uh, Anyway. (laughs) Okay. Well, let's let's go ahead and close out.
1: (laughs) Okay. Well, Carla, do you want to say where the listeners can find your podcast? Absolutely. You can find me and the other frequent guest panelist Meg on our podcast, Bed Wet, or Behead, uh which is about Meg and me drinking and betting, wedding or beheading characters. Yeah, so it's pretty self-explanatory. I just I just noticed. Um <laughs> you can find us on any wonderful podcast platform that carries quality shows with content that's classic like you would expect. And on Twitter primarily at Bed, Wet, Behead Pod. We're also on Instagram and Facebook, but let's face it, those aren't as cool as Twitter.
0: Face <laughs> That was good wordplay there. Um, <laughs> and I agree. And also, Carla is an amazing photographer.
1: Thank you. Yes, you can find yeah. my art at my website, carlatemis.com. That's C-A-R-L-A-T-E-M-I-S. Yes. and as always, that link will be in our
0: show notes, as it always is when she's on. And, of course, I'll highlight again that I know because Apple Podcast doesn't like to show our cover art, they just like to show our logo – but, I know, but on Spotify, you can see all our cover art on there and other places as well that Carla does with our beautiful logo by Brooke Belly. I know this isn't our new ending thing, but I'm still going to say it again anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I do want to clarify, though, listeners, they don't actually bed, wed, or behead. There's not actually, that doesn't actually go on. It's fiction. No. It's a it, fantasy. It's
1: fictional bedding, wedding, and beheading. We only wish we could. Well, not really. I'll just, you know, before the FBI tries to get me, I'll just shut up. Yeah. <laughs> but there
0: is, dr- the drinking is real. <laughs> well,
1: the drinking is very real.
0: Yes, it's very real. I have it's been on necessary. before. It is, it's yes. very real. <laughs> And I hope to be on again. I'm going to be doing yes. one. Oh, wait. Oh, my gosh. The one, I don't know if it's really actually going to happen. So you can you can tell me if it's not after I say this. But we're going to do one where we're going to play <laughs> Bedwetter Behead with Freddy Krueger. Jason Voorhees <laughs> and Michael Myers.
1: <laughs> I desperately want this to happen. I want this to happen to for happen. the fall for Halloween. And I don't care how we get it to happen. Meg is going to either watch something spooky or she can just wiki the hell out of these characters and not watch something spooky. But we're making this happen.
0: Yes. Because it's I going need this to be in my topic. life. I'm, I've, yes. I've already been trying to think. Logically, Who would be the best person? I think I've decided. I think I've decided. Um, but it's a very tough decision. I actually had a dream once when I was a teenager. I had a dream that I was going on a date with Freddy Krueger. And That's I. a dreams. Yes. yes. I know. Dream very date. Very common right? thing. Right? And I remember I was saying. <laughs> I kept saying to my mom. I'm like, but he kills people, mom. And she's like, oh, it's not that big a deal. <laughs>
1: Your mom is so much more open-minded than I would ever have, have imagined any mom to be.
0: <laughs> this is Erin. You can follow me on Twitter at E April Beauty. The E and the A and the B are capitalized. Be sure to like the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash it's a fandom thing pod. On Twitter at fandom thing pod. No, it's in that one. On Instagram at it's a fandom thing pod. If you have any feedback, show notes. If you'd like to be added to the list to find out when Blue Eggs is touring, <laughs> um, be sure to email us at it's a fandom thing pod at gmail.com. Wednesday, Meg will be back. Meg has not been on Yay. since our December 31st episode. So she's returning with her husband. So yes, we are having men on this show. Um <laughs> White men on the wait, white straight men on this show as panelists. I should clarify that because we have had men on the show before. And we're going to be talking about a show that I have never watched called Big Mouth. (laughs) And I asked our listeners what episodes I should watch, and Meg responded and said I should watch every single one. (laughs) So I asked her if it would take an hour to do because that's probably as much time as I have. Well, a little more than that, but and she hasn't responded. So I'm guessing that's not true. She
1: just like it. her answer means her lack of answer means make the time
0: exactly yeah she's <laughs> like it's easy watch it takes no time so we'll see how much if i get th- how much i get through and then friday i'm very very happy to announce we have a great interview coming i've mentioned this movie a couple times on here the movie scare me on a streaming service that i've also only mentioned uh, one thousand times shutter um and oh, i've
1: heard of that from you
0: <laughs> i know i i very rarely mention that streaming site. i know you keep it really
1: very tucked it to yourself
0: i know i know um but anyway we have uh writer director actor josh rubin on and it's a really really it's already been recorded it's a really good conversation i think a lot of fun he's a really genuinely really great guy. So I think everybody will like that interview hopefully. Um and if you haven't already watched the movie beforehand because we spoil some of the movie. So just a heads up to Carla. <laughs> <laughs> That's just to Carla. Well, oh, I love you. <laughs> so that'll be some fun episodes and then also I want to mention our 100th episode is coming up so that will be a week from next Wednesday. So that will be on, and it actually won't be airing on Wednesday. Sorry. It's going to air on a Tuesday. Cause we're actually going to have a week of three episodes, which I have never done that. So it's going to be very interesting, but it's going to be a special episode. Carla's going to be on it. We're going to do quizzes. We're going to do quizzes um, on our Twitter and our Instagram. We're giving away 10 stickers, not 10 to one person, just one sticker to 10 different people. Um, for people who answer trivia questions correctly, we will announce the winners on that show. So you won't know whether or not you've won until that show is released on that Tuesday. I'm going to be doing some fun things throughout the week. I'm going to, I'd love to do, um, a live tweet of a movie, but I'm not sure if that's going to happen or not. So we'll see because my, my life is crazy. Um, so we'll see if that'll happen I do, I am going to like mention some of my favorite episodes, do some kind of fun stuff like that. I might do some trivia about the show. I was going to do a trivia question and see if people could guess how many times I said Shudder, (laughs) (laughs) but I was, I don't even know. So that won't happen probably, or how many times I've mentioned George Clooney or how many times I've mentioned (laughs) Kelvin Harrison Jr., um, who I almost mentioned in this episode because as a possible casting (laughs) decision and I stopped myself. Um, but, <laughs> but it'll, it'll be a lot of fun. And I can't believe we're almost at a hundred episodes. It's, it's mind blowing to me. It's just, this was a dream I had and it came true and it came true beyond what I could have ever hoped or envisioned. And so thank you to all of the listeners, even if you've only listened to one episode. Thank you. Even if you are a casual listener, um, thank you so much. Anyone who's ever been on this panel, even if you were only on one episode, thank you. Um, Thank you. Thank you to all the other, excuse me, all the other podcasts out there uh, that inspire me. So, um, you know, there's a lot of you out there uh, that I just adore and that I aspire to be. So thank you very much. So until next time, remember, it's a fandom thing and Black Lives Matter. Thank you again for listening to It's a Fandom Thing. Be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and follow us on all your favorite podcast platforms. Our logo was designed by Brooke Belly, with cover art by Carla Temmes. Additional research was done by Megan Archuleta. Our Instagram and Facebook content producer and creator is Erin Amos. And our producer is Lila Tefola. I'm your host, Erin Marlowe, And remember, keep that fandom spirit alive. We are we are going to be professional singers, everybody out there. This is your first opportunity to hear. Yes. What, what is our band name? Okay.
1: So, what did you have for breakfast? I had um, what did, I had eggs. Eggs. Um, and I'm wearing, okay, yeah. so this has blue sleeves, so we're the blue eggs. <laughs> <laughs> and it's classy because her- I didn't say balls. <laughs> we're not the blue balls, okay, people? No, we're the blue eggs. Don't confuse us with other edgy. other
0: group. <laughs> <laughs> and edgy. Okay, and our first single is called... Stay Living Single. <laughs> <laughs> That's our advice, ladies.
1: Just kind of goes... You say (laughs) living single.